Thank you so much, Julie, and thank you, praise team. That was a special time in the Lord's presence this morning, and we're very grateful. Thank you so much. I would like to begin to ask uh, this morning your thoughts on this question. A common problem in all walks of life, what is it? Two out of three people get fired for the same basic reason. It's a major reason why missionaries leave the field. USA Today reported only 12% of people with MBAs possess this, and it's the number one source of conflict in any given ministry situation. Do you know the answer? It's the inability to get along with people. That's the common denominator. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. We can have a great education. We can be very smart, have exceptional skills, be very talented. But all of it can come crashing down for lack of wisdom in dealing with other people. Now, the Bible has a great deal to say about this. One place where the Bible speaks to this is in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. And notice what it says. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, I want you to notice what's here. Obviously, God expects us to behave wisely even towards those who are outside the faith. And then notice that when we are wise in our dealings with others, we are making our time count for God. And then notice this is also teaching us that wisdom in the way that we talk to others can pave the way for effective witnessing to non-believers. Clearly, this passage is telling us that God wants us to develop wise dealings with others so that we can be effective Christians. Now, I want to ask you a question as we think about this. Who do you suppose was one of the wisest diplomats in dealing with others in the entire Bible? Well, if you said Joseph, you would be right. One pastor has said about Joseph, he was probably one of the wisest and most successful politicians who ever lived. Another pastor said about him, he had the rare combination of being a godly man and a masterful diplomat. He was a saint and a politician at the same time. Uh, would you agree with me we need a few more of those in America today? We certainly do. And we need a few more of those in Christian ministry. And we need a few more of those in marriage and in family and in all walks of life. This morning as we come to our series that is starting to come to a close on the life of Joseph, 
We're coming to a message that I'm simply entitling about wisdom and making decisions. And what we want to do today is to look at this skill we need from the master diplomat himself, Joseph. And if you would take your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Genesis chapter 46. It'll be about page 46 in the chair Bible in front of you. And we're going to start down around verse 31 this morning. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's just pray and ask the Lord in this area. Father, you not only want us to be holy, you want us to be wise. You not only want us to be godly, but you want us to be skillful. Lord, the great commandment is to love God with all your being, but then it's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that takes an incredible skill that only God can give and only the Bible can teach. And we pray today that you will develop in our lives, give us an appetite for us, wet us, Lord, uh, our tongues as it were, that we might live this kind of life for your honor and glory. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now this morning, as I prepare to read, starting at verse 31 of Genesis 46, we want to see the first thing that Joseph understood that led him ultimately to live this wise life. He understood that a walk in wisdom has this great truth about it. He knew that he was a key instrument in God's plan. And I want to ask, do you know that today? Do I know that today? Do I see myself as just an ordinary believer that nobody knows and nobody thinks much of? Or do I understand and know what Joseph knew, that God calls every believer to be a key instrument in his plan? Now, look with me at verse 31 of Genesis 46. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. By the way, those are synonyms in the passage. They are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that he may dwell, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd, every herdsman, every keeper of cattle and flocks is an abomination to the Egyptians." Now at this point in Joseph's life and in the life of God's purposes for the family of Israel, the main concern is to get Israel to the land of Goshen. And we have to ask this question, why Goshen? Here is a Nassau photo of uh, the region. And you can see even to this very day the fertile area of Goshen at the mouth 
of the great Nile River. Now when we ask why Goshen, there are at least four reasons why, and the last one is probably the most important of all. In fact, the last one is the one that Joseph clearly was motivated by. But here are the first three. It was suitable for grazing flocks and herds. And since that was their livelihood, this economy would sustain them for many years to come. It would also secure their insulation from Egypt. God's plan had to develop Israel as an independent nation, both nationally and spiritually. It was very, very critical. And in this area of isolation, they could continue to be what God wanted them to be as a separate people. And then this would be very easy to depart. You can see the arrow that led down, the arrow that would lead back. So 400 years later, when God would say to Moses, Moses, it's time, it would be very easy for a nation of two million now to depart and leave for Canaan. But here is the fourth reason. And this is a reason that was deep in Joseph's heart, and he clearly understood that Israel's blessing channeled God's blessing to the world. That's the thing that Joseph understood. In fact, this was God's promise to Abraham in the very beginning when he called him. Way back in chapter 12 and verse 3, let's read this wonderful promise together. That was God's whole plan for Abraham, his family, and Israel. Let's read it. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now Joseph knew this was God's plan from the beginning. If Israel was blessed, and in Goshen they would be blessed, then that blessing would extend to Egypt, and ultimately to the whole world. Now, I want you to notice here in this chapter, as we move into chapter 47, that this is exactly what began to happen. Look down at verse 7, and notice, Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Look down at verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Let me ask this question. Why did Jacob bless Pharaoh? One would have expected the most powerful, wealthy person in the world, Pharaoh, would have blessed Jacob, not the other way around. Why is it? It's because Pharaoh knew the God of Joseph was the God of Jacob. This was now Joseph's father. He was the patriarch of the entire family. And Pharaoh knew that the same God that Joseph served was the God of Jacob. And so Pharaoh wants the blessing from the God of Jacob that he knew had come to him from the God of Joseph. Do you know this word blessed here? It is a formal prayer. 
And it means to ask God to reward Pharaoh for his kindness to the family of Jacob. Exactly what this says. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Pharaoh has been good to Joseph and now good to the entire nation of Israel, the incipient nation of 70 people. And now Jacob prays for him and says, God, do to him what you said you would do. Reward him for his kindness to your people. Now I want you to notice that God did that very thing. He rewarded Pharaoh and Egypt by channeling the blessing through Joseph. When the famine continued, Joseph sold grain for money, thus blessing Pharaoh. Look down at verse 13 and 14. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was so very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. There's the blessing. When the money was gone, Joseph sold grain for livestock, blessing Pharaoh again. Look with me at verse 15. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And then when the livestock was gone, Joseph sold grain for the land, blessing Pharaoh again. Look at verse 18. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before our our eyes, both we and our land, buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. And then the final thing that Joseph did was he made the people indentured servants, giving them seed in exchange for one-fifth of the future harvest, blessing Pharaoh again. Look at verse 21. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. Now I know what some of us are thinking today. All of this seems rather cruel, doesn't it? 
But doesn't it seem like Joseph is somewhat of an unscrupulous businessman? He has these people over a barrel. They have no other choice. But what we need to understand is going on here. There was a basic premise in the ancient world that you paid your own way. Even if it meant you became a servant in order to do so. You know what that tells me? The Egyptians were not socialists, were they? The Egyptians did not believe in communism, did they? They didn't believe in getting something for nothing. And basically, what Joseph did was he set up a farming system so that they could work the farms in exchange for one-fifth of the produce in the future when the famine was over, and thus they would save their lives and potentially in the future be able to purchase their land back. And I want you to notice how grateful they were. Look at verse 25. They said to Joseph, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. And then look what was happening in Israel. Look down at verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful, and multiplied greatly. Do you see what's going on? Everyone's prospering, aren't they? Israel is being blessed just as God had planned. Pharaoh is sharing in that blessing because of his kindness to Joseph. And now all Egypt is being blessed because God is channeling His blessing through His people. Do you know what we're seeing here? Israel already became a savior to the Gentiles, didn't they? Israel already is becoming a savior to the Gentiles. And eventually that savior would be who? Would be Jesus. And that is ultimately the fulfilling of this wonderful plan. Now let me just stop here for a moment. Joseph's vision was much bigger than a vision of himself, wasn't it? Isn't that what we're seeing? He knew that God had strategically placed him to be a key figure in God's kingdom work. Let me say that again. Joseph's vision was a vision much bigger than a vision of himself. He knew that God has strategically placed him to be a key figure in God's kingdom work. What I see here is that mysterious interchange between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. 
I think we all know that God does not need us. As we look at this plan that God had, that has eventually reached down to all of us, as Jesus has become the key figure to bless all the Gentiles in the world with His salvation, I think we know that God's sovereignty assures that this plan would indeed succeed. But here's the thing for us. God in His wisdom gives us the opportunity to be the instruments that He uses. The sovereignty of God makes sure this will happen. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will succeed. But He calls us to partner with Him as tools and instruments that he might use in this great plan. You want to know what happens when our vision captures this? We don't want to hinder our own effectiveness, do we? When you see the grandeur of the plan of God and the fact that it will succeed and he wants to use you in it, And I don't know about you. I don't want to hinder my own success, do you? I don't think so. And because Joseph understood this, he did not want to hinder his own success. And so here's the second lesson for us this morning. Joseph was wisely skillful in dealing with others. Wisely skillful in dealing with others. Now in the Joseph narrative, whenever an event is repeated twice back to back, it tells us it's very significant. We have the plan in verses 31 to 34 in chapter 46. And then in chapter 47, 1 to 6, we have the fulfillment. So here's the plan, chapter 46. Here's the fulfillment, chapter 47. And ever in the Joseph narrative, when you have those two types of things back to back, this is very, very significant. Let me share with you a proverb that clearly Joseph knew long before Solomon ever gave the proverb. Here it is, Proverbs 14.35. Let's read it together. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. Long before Solomon ever wrote this, Joseph understood it. If you are wise in your dealings with others, it can bring about their favor. You know what this is? This is sort of a thumbnail way in the Old Testament of uh, summarizing Colossians 4, uh, verses 3 to 5 in the New Testament. If you are wise in your dealings with others, it can bring about their favor. 
Now, as we look at Joseph in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 47, here's what we see. We see a man with a very skillful touch. A man with a very skillful touch. Let me ask you, let me ask me, do I have this skillful touch? Have I learned these principles of wise dealings with others? They almost just jump off the page at us. Maybe there are some others that you would find, but here are the ones that I've found. Number one, he was respectful to authority. In verse 34, he said, when you are before Pharaoh, this is how you refer to yourselves as your servants. Now look at chapter 47 and count how many times they followed his advice. Look at verse 3. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. How many times did they call themselves your servants? You were counting, weren't you? Three. Three. Joseph coached them. You be respectful towards this authority in our lives. Now Joseph, as we have learned, became second in command. He was not first. And he had one authority over him. And he knew that authority was a total authority. Pharaoh had all power. Now, what are we learning from this? Well, we're learning from what we learn in the entire Bible, that God has established authorities in our lives that He works through. There are authorities in marriage. There are authorities in the family. There are authorities in the church. And there are authorities in society. And even when we disagree with those authorities, God expects us to be respectful to them. I want you to think about Joseph's own pattern. He was originally purchased by Pharaoh as a chattel slave. Imagine how difficult that would be to have goodwill towards someone who bought you on a slave block as a chattel slave. And yet he had goodwill towards Potiphar. And then when he was cast unfairly into prison, he had guards, and he was a foreign criminal. How do guards usually treat foreign criminals? Not very well. And yet he had such goodwill towards them that they favored him. And there's something that almost always we can tell you can almost always tell people who are going someplace versus people who are not. Those who are going someplace are courteous, respectful, and they cooperate with the authorities in their lives where possible. 
Those who are not going someplace, they're ungracious, disrespectful, and they reject the authorities in their lives. And God will not bless, He will not use somebody who does not have this spirit and this attitude. Look at the second thing that was skillful. He sought to benefit both of the sides. Why does he say back in verse 34, now when you get in front of Pharaoh, you tell him that your shepherds, your herdsmen, because every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so that's what they did. They said in verses 3, 4, and 5, we are shepherds. Uh, we uh, tend flocks. That's what we do. What's going on here? Well, Egyptians were primarily city dwellers whose main occupation was agriculture. So they would leave the cities and they would go out into the fields and then at night they would come back and they would live in towns. They distrusted shepherds and herdsmen who primarily were nomads. They viewed them like many would view gypsies. In addition, Hebrews ate animals that were sacred to the Egyptians and they didn't follow the very strict cleansing laws that Egyptians followed. Now I want you to notice how wise Joseph is. He used this not only to his advantage, but to the Egyptians as well. This was a brilliant, brilliant strategy. You see, the Israelites wanted to be insulated from the Egyptians, but the Egyptians wanted to be insulated from the Israelites. This was a win-win strategy. Listen, when others know that what pleases us will also please them, that creates goodwill. And so he operated in a way that he knew would benefit both sides. I don't know if you uh, know this at all or not, but when we filled in that ravine that was in the front of our church for many, many years, and we decided to put a, a nice lawn there and a beautiful garden that a committee called His Garden planned and developed, and then you may not know the Suburniacs were the ones that recommended the backlit cross that shines the gospel all night through this community, that some of our neighbors came and they said, we're so glad you're not putting in a parking lot. And I hadn't thought about that at all. But what is this neighborhood known for? Well, with our golf course, it's known as a place of greenery and beauty, isn't it? And when we decided to put a lawn in and a garden and add to the beauty, the neighbors were thankful. And think about this. What benefited us? 
benefited them. Do you know why we upgraded our fence over here? One of the reasons is because we wanted the other side to please the neighbors. We wanted them to feel good about how the fence looked on their side, not just our side. And it is a reflection of wise dealings with others when, if at all possible, we can seek the benefit of both sides. Notice the third. He was honest, but polite, not demanding. Did you notice in verse 4, they were very upfront. They believed that honesty was the best policy. But did you notice how polite they were? Please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Now let me ask you, when Joseph brought his family to Goshen, why did he move them temporarily there? Look at verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. But it was clear that Joseph brought them there temporarily. Now why did he do that? Well, you remember back in chapter 45 that Pharaoh had promised the best of the land, but he was not specific. He didn't say to Joseph, all right, Goshen is the best of the land. So Joseph could have moved his family there. He could have said, this is the best land just as you promised. This is where we're settling. You know what he knew would happen if he did that? He would look very selfish. It would have opened him up to criticism that he grabbed the best for himself. Far better to get permission from the one in charge than to just assume. And what a lesson we're learning here. God's people should never be demanding, selfish, assuming, or looking out for number one. Before I began to study over at the NMU library, I used to study at the Peter White Library. And there was a place, a workstation, that was very good for me. And, but the chair wasn't the greatest. And there was a workstation around the corner that had a plush rolling chair, and it was rarely used. And so, I just took liberty. Moved the chair, put my chair over there. Seemed to inconvenience no one. One day I was talking to one of the librarians I got to know, and, and I said, is it okay that I do this? And she said to me, yeah, it's, it's okay. 
But she said, just make sure you ask permission. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. You see, that's what Joseph understood. Notice, fourthly, he was an asset, not a liability to others. Verse 2, And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, uh, before I, I look at that for just a moment, let me ask you to look back at verse 34. And notice he said, You're to say to Pharaoh that you've been keepers of livestock from your youth until now, both you and your ancestors. Why emphasize this is what we've done our whole life and this is what our ancestors have done? Well, I think it's very clear. They intended to do what they had always done. They were going to work hard at their profession. What Joseph was saying is when you stand before Pharaoh, you tell him, we are going to be self-sufficient. We're not coming here to be freeloaders. We are coming to be givers and not takers. I think we've all heard the uh, statement that there are two types of people in this world, givers and takers. And what Joseph was saying is when we come to this land, we're going to continue to do what we've always done. We're going to be hardworking. We're going to be an asset to your community. When we move in, the community is going to be better, not worse. In my wallet, I have a uh, Redmond discount card. And I love this Redmond discount card because I can go to restaurants in town and I can present it. And as we did yesterday, I got a 10% discount on my bill. And I really like that. Not only am I helping the football team, but they're helping me. Do you know many years ago, they marketed a card called clergy card. And it was to give pastors discounts. And my old professor... Dr. Toussaint, who had been a pastor, was very, very wise. You know what he said? He said, I'm not in favor of that. Because it makes pastors look like they are always on the take. It makes them look like they are always trying to get a deal because, after all, I'm a man of the cloth. And he said it makes us look like we are here to get something rather to give something. And Dr. Toussaint was very wise. He knew that God's people should be viewed as an asset not as a liability. And then notice number five. He was sensitive not to offend or to intimidate. Now to verse two. When he got ready to present his brothers before Pharaoh, 
why did he choose five and not eleven? Why didn't he bring all eleven in and present them to Pharaoh? Well, I think you are beginning maybe to understand. If shepherds were off-putting to Egyptians, eleven of them showing up in your office would be a little offensive, don't you? He was sensitive. And then also he had learned the principle that don't, lose a, don't use a sledgehammer if a carpenter's hammer will do. Bringing eleven in would look like a show of muscle, wouldn't it? Look like, here we are, we're ready to take over, all eleven of us. But five would not intimidate. What a wise presentation this was before Pharaoh. The father I read about gave his son some very excellent advice. He said, treat everybody with politeness, even those who are rude to you. Remember, son, he said, you show courtesy to others, not because they are gentlemen, but because you are one. And that's what Joseph knew. By the way, how did it work out? How did it work out? Well, they got the land. Look at verse 6. Pharaoh said, the land of Egypt is yours. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. They got the land. And then he offered them jobs. And if you know any able man among you, Put them in charge of my livestock because Pharaoh usually hired foreigners to do the distasteful task of overlooking his livestock. And then notice verse 5, the reason all of this happened was because of Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. Here's the land. Here our job offers. Wouldn't you say it all worked out pretty good? I think it worked out real good. Do you know there's another proverb that Joseph knew long before Solomon wrote it? Proverbs 22.11. Would you read it with me? He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And all God's people said, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. That's what I would call wise living. Let's bow and thank the Lord. Father, teach us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Teach us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time
Teach us that our speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer every person. We'll thank you because we've seen the big picture and we are a part of it. For Jesus' sake.